This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's a place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time at Core Brain Journal, and I'm so pleased with the guests that we have here today, and this particular guest, I said guests in general, but the guests we have today, and specifically, Seth Swirsky. He is a fantastic guy. He's a creative guy who talked to your friends and mine, Ike and Tina Turner, yeah, Smokey Robinson, oh yeah. Uh, I don't, and you know Al Green, I don't know Rufus Wainwright, you'll have to tell me about him. Air Supply, Olivia Newton-John, let me think. The Go-Go's, okay. He's written music for all of these folks, and he's here to talk about a very interesting transformational experience in his life, wherein he discovered something about himself, which I'm going to save for him to tell us about, but he's written a book about it, so we're going to be talking about it. So we have a guy who is in the art, he's in the arts, he is a creative genius, really, writing for all these folks. And he's coming to us from Beverly Hills. So, Seth, we'll talk to you in just a moment. Welcome aboard. We're glad to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So, with that, I'm going to do a couple of quick announcements regarding our sponsors. First of all, I want to thank James Barry Robinson Center here in beautiful downtown Norfolk. They have an outstanding residential program for children and adolescents You folks know how catastrophic acute care in psychiatry can be with a wham-bam, thank you, ma'am, five, seven days in the hospital. We hope you get better. Throw some meds at them, cross your fingers, and go on out the door. Now, it's helpful. It can be very helpful. But when you have people who are treatment failures with meds, treatment failures with supplements, treatment failures with short-term care, Sometimes it takes a more comprehensive, deeper look at what's going on with those individuals. And this is the big thing about them, folks. They are TRICARE friendly. They have a global reputation. And what is really, really important about them, they are sensitive beyond belief to keeping the family working effectively together. So you'll hear more about them in just a moment. And then we also want to say, you folks know at Core Brain Journal how much we really appreciate uh, good data. We're, we're data folks. I'm a data guy. And everybody that's here knows that. Why am I into data? Because reality matters. Dreams are over in psychiatry. Data is real. Data is here. And we might as well find out about what's going on with brain function. And Direct Health Access is a laboratory we absolutely love. We appreciate their supporting us here. And they've only done 3 million tests. Their end numbers are out the roof. And they do these tests that aren't popular. They're out of the box here in, in, in such a way. Every time I say out of the box, I hesitate because they're so far in the box. They look like they're out of the box. But they do testing for methylation, cryptopyrrole, copper and zinc ratios, all of which directly affect neurotransmitter levels. It's unbelievable. So we really appreciate Direct Health Access being here, and you'll hear more from them in just a moment when we take a break mid-season mid, mid season here. 
so what I'm going to do, after all that spontaneous stuff, uh, is tell tell our guests about you. Uh, Seth Swirsky is a New Haven, Connecticut native who is now out in California. He is a self-described, get this, manic expressive, <laughs> an American pop music songwriter, including the Ga- uh, Grammy nominated, if I can spit it out, the Grammy nominated Tell It To My Heart. He's an author, a recording artist, a filmmaker, a political writer, and a noted baseball memorabilia collector. So this boy has been all around, and he has some serious words. He's been up and down the street with a lot of very wonderful, very talented people, and he's helped them get where they want to go. And I think he's going to help our listeners that listen here get where they want to go as well, talking about his experience. I'm not going to spend too much talk about it because I think it's, uh, his story is a very interesting one. But I want him to tell us about his book. He's got a book, 21, Way, 21 Ways to a Happier Depression. A uh, happier depression, he said. <laughs> a creative guide to getting unstuck from anxiety, setbacks, and stress. You know what's going to happen is Seth's experience matters, my friends, because he's not only been there and done that, he's recovered from it. So, And he has a great message with an absolutely beautifully written book. But more than that, the, the entrance, the, uh, what we say, the visuals associated with the book are exemplary. It's, it's really a book that could be right there on your coffee table because the visuals on it uh, complement the writing and the reality of his words. So, Seth, that's a quick intro. Let's talk a little bit about who you are and where you're coming from, how you got into this whole thing in the first place. Well, first of all, thank you so much for that. Just such a, such a kind introduction. I, I very much appreciate that. I, uh, I was a kid that grew up in the late 60s and most of the 70s loving music, loving music, loving all the arts very much. And I, uh, I describe my childhood as very happy. I really was kind of like everything... Everything just kind of worked and then uh, went to college and did all the things that people do, wrote a few jingles that made it onto national TV. I was really kind of used to having successes. Even in college. Even in college. During college, I, I, you know, uh, I pitched a song to Barbara Streisand and she, she was making a decision about it when I was a junior in college. And I'm thinking, yeah, like, this is cool. I could really be a songwriter here, you know? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And uh, even though she ended up not doing that song, I I lost out to a a, a guy you might not have heard of, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But it told me at the time that I could play in the big leagues, you know? You know, and, mm-hmm. and that was, you know, when you're young, to get, a, to get confirmation like that, that's a big thing. And uh, I ended up getting a job with Chapel Music, which became Warner Chapel, Warner Brothers Music. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started writing songs for different recording artists. I'm in my early 20s now, living in New York City. Mm-hmm. Out of the clear blue on a day, I must have been, I don't know, 24, 25 years old, having great successes. Air Supply had just recorded a song and, and Michael McDonald from the Doobie Brothers and all of these great artists were doing my songs. And I just, felt, I, I had an anxiety attack that I literally felt like I was being pulled out of a 23-story window. I was living mm. in New York City. Mm. 
My mm. boss, who was like a second father to me, had jumped out of a window a year before that. Oh, my God. A very close family member as well did that. So I think I had that anxiety in the back of my head. That was never going to happen. But it was the thought. And you know, when a thought happens to you, it's very overwhelming. It's deep. and It's very overwhelming. And I, I, it was just, it was an overwhelming feeling to me. I started sweating. And you know what, you know all the things that happened. Your heart races out of control. Your mind thinks a million things. When that happens the first time, it's very, uh, it throws your entire past off. It throws off who you are as a person. Your foundation starts to rock. Mm -hmm. And it was so heavy for me that I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I said, oh, what was that? That was, you know, because my, my whole being recalibrated. Like I, I, I needed that sleep. And, uh, but it came back. And for five and a half years, from the ages of 25 to 30, almost 31, I was, I describe it as I was underwater with my nostrils just above the water. Oh. In other words, I could barely, I barely had the oxygen to, you know, to, to, to breathe. And all this time I was having hit records. I was making terrific money. I mean, I was really living a very good life. I was having a relationship with the woman who became my wife. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of different things, you know, uh, good things, normal things. But I was so deeply dissociated. You know, it was like I was living on two tracks. One was the normal that everybody thought they saw. And myself, who was, I was kind of in the back of my brain viewing the rest of the world through this prism of kind of unreality. It felt very strange, as you know what dissociation or those feelings do to you. Mm -hmm. So I think that what happened was I developed a whole bunch of different coping mechanisms that I never thought I was going to put into a book later on. That's, those are really the ideas that, that led to 21 Ways to a Happier Depression. But I will tell you that it was during that time that I was so gone, for a lack of a better word. Uh, I didn't act strangely. There was nothing that I would, you know, nothing like that on, on any level. But I, it was the way I personally felt. And you know that overwhelming anxiety can lead to depression. I mean, if you always have it, it's depressing, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, you know. Yeah. And uh, I remember thinking at the time, as one year led into the next, with very little, very, there was, it, it wasn't alleviated very easily, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. It wasn't like uh, it stopped for a day or it stopped for a week or a month. It was ongoing straight for over five years. Mm. That's a hard, that's a long, long time for it mm. to be like one way. And I remember thinking to myself, I was walking to the train station. I was in New York City and I thought, if I could ever get out of this, if I could ever get out of this, I'm going to mm. write about it one day. I, I, mm. I, I'm just going to write about it one day. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate enough to, I moved away, which was a, a healthy thing. I got away from my environment which wasn't a crushing environment, but I, I will tell you that sometimes that's a very healthy thing to do if you mm -hmm. can do it. Mm -hmm. It's certainly, you know, it's like if you're a baseball player and you're traded, you, it's a new environment, you know, if you're, <laughs> if, you're not, if you're not playing so well. You, know? you had to trade yourself. I had to trade myself. So I moved to LA and uh, the, I, the fog started to lift. I, I did a thing, I call it glimpsing. I, I, I had a happy moment. 
I glimpsed, mm-hmm. I glimpsed. I didn't mm-hmm. have to become happy that moment or that, at, at, that, at that day, even though I was desperate for it. But by that time, I was just doing anything. <laughs> anything that made me feel happy was, was terrific. But I glimpsed over the mountain. I could see again what happy felt like as a long-term thing. That mm-hmm. was a huge thing. Just to glimpse it is a big thing. Mm-hmm. And before I knew it, I, you know, I got married. I, my recording career was going well. I had a child and then altogether three children. Things started to normalize. I wasn't having the anxiety attacks as much. They really were anxiety attacks more than anything else. Panic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as time went on, they became less and less. I can't tell you that it's cured. I can tell you I haven't had one in, in, in a while. The worst of them happen when I wake up in the middle of the night into one. Those are always the worst because there's no preparation for it. You're, yeah, just, you're just there. You're just there. But these days, I do things like if I wake up and my heart is racing, I say things to myself like, you know what, heart? <laughs> You've been so good to me. Yeah. You ran the fit, you know, when I ran the 50 yard dash in sixth grade, you really gave me the energy to get to win that. Uh, you know, so in other words, I'm more, I, I have more of a lighter outlook about it, which makes the anxiety attack or the panic attacks. They kind of just, they, they're, they're condensed. They you last, switch, ten, yeah, you they last the, 10 minutes. Now, you switch you know. the negative into an affirmative. Did you notice that? Yes. You said, okay, I'm not going to be run down by this doggone thing. I'm going to put the thought in here that's going to take me to a moment of success and happiness. And you switch, you switch the, mental, the mental grind. Yes, and, and I, and yes, exactly. And I noticed that I'm no different than anybody else. I just, I saw, in other words, I really truly, truly believe that people can cut down the amount of time. When I say 21 ways to a happier depression, you know I'm not making fun of depression and I'm not trying to lighten it on any level. I'm not trying to make a joke about it. But that's not what my book really is. It's really about alleviating. It's Mm -hmm. about alleviating. So you don't have to maybe go through when I say depression, I'm also at slash anxiety, slash panic, a whole bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. But I've I have a bunch of things that I've used from my twenties until now in my mid fifties. I use I use things that really cut down the the uh, the the uh, the the pain and the and the difficulty with it all. You don't have to suffer for weeks and weeks and weeks and years. Now I'm not talking about all depression. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying yeah. this is a cure all or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. So that's that's kind of my journey. Well, and one and listeners, you can't see. You know, Seth and I are actually talking to each other through uh, Zoom, so we have a chance to see each other. You know. And Seth looks a hell of a lot better than I do. I can tell you that. <laughs> but the bottom line is, when you're, when you're talking and you're showing me, you're actually pointing to your head. And, yes. and the word overwhelm did come up. And, and one of the key things that you're talking about is the connection that you have between cognitive anxiety. Yes. The overwhelm of thinking so much. Yes. And the... the displacement of it in, I don't know, I was trying to give another word that sounds so doggone scientific, but you know, it comes from your head down to your body. And then your body is corrupted by the whole feeling of overwhelm and so on and so forth. And that, that, that synchrony, that loop thing going on between the cognitive anxiety and the somatic affective anxiety, they're two different things. It's an important differentiation because cognitive anxiety is not in the current outdated diagnostic manual. 
Right. And so what happens is people don't think of it as a cognitive problem, but you intuitively, bright guy that you are, I've never met a bright person who was not a do-it-yourselfer, okay? Yes. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Seth. You know that. You run with bright people, and they're yeah. all do-it-yourselfers. I mean, so they're gonna, they may have to do it yourself with marijuana. It doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> but, you know, they don't know that marijuana is not productive. It, it puts you on ice, you know? That's right. It doesn't take you down to the next level. But anyway, back to it. So that cognitive thing is just an important thing. And, yes. and you were expressing that so articulately and so Thank usefully. And, and I thought that 50-yard dash thing was just so interesting. You know? Yes. I try, I try to uh, lighten things. And mm -hmm. it's been through a lot of experience. I also have done things over the years, which, and I know you probably pres prescribe this idea to people, but it's to write down a whole lot of things and to keep a diary and things. I never really kept a diary, but what I did is I typed out while I was in the midst of an attack, I would type out certain things. So now I look back on that mm -hmm. and I see, I see a through line with everything. Oh, that's interesting. And you know, panic attacks or depressed feelings it always seems like the worst at the time somebody could say oh you've been here before or they can try a whole bunch of things but it's always the worst one that you're in at the moment mm -hmm. you know or that or that's the way it seems mm -hmm. but it is very helpful to be able to look back and say i felt that exact feeling that I, in other words there is a through line with me mm -hmm. my fears are different maybe than yours or other people's, but that, you know, I can see that I'm pretty consistent with them. And, mm -hmm. that, and that's, that helps alleviate things a bit too, to, to know that, hey, I came out of those and even though I don't feel like I'm going to come out of this one, well, the chances are pretty good because look at the 30 before. Yeah, and you're reframing it again. So this yes. isn't going to last. And you're saying, look, I've done it before. That's an affirmative reaction. A self-assessment of I can do this as opposed to, I can't do this, I have no damn idea what I'm going to do. Yes, that's exactly, very well said. That's exactly right. There has to be a, a positive feel to it. But, you know, a lot of people, when they're in the beginning stages of any of these afflictions, uh, how can they have confidence with it? You mm -hmm. kind of have to wrestle it yourself for a little bit. And that's why, that's why I wrote my book. Mm -hmm. You know, to, to kind of help you get there, help you get a little bit of confidence that it's okay. Well, let's take a little moment to get into some of the things you talk about in the book, because we'll tease it a little bit. Why not? Oh, yeah. That's oh, what we're doing you. here. And because I'm curious, I'll tell you, this is, it's more than a tease. It's like, you know, you're a very interesting guy to talk to. And you can see with the experience that you've had, and by the way, I enjoyed talking to you so much offline about Smokey Robinson. I mean... One of mine, and you know, folks, you don't know this, but Seth has written a song for Smokey Robinson and, and you know, hung out with him, you know. So, you know, he's, he's actually knows the individuals that are, that are doing this, and he's actually experiencing some synchrony in their own angst that they're going through because he knows them as real people. And, you know, that whole celebrity thing brings on a very, very heavy level of responsibility oh. because you don't just have yourself. You've got your whole business is involved with what other people think about you. So somebody's going to say, Seth, what are you worried what other people think about you? Yes. <laughs> your thing true. is like, hey, this is how I make my living. <laughs> did, you right. did you notice that? <laughs> That's true. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because, uh, unfortunately, we've lost so many very talented 
young people in the music business that, that uh, you know, Kurt Cobain, for instance, oh, you yeah. know, because when you're feeling these feelings and you're expected to be a certain image in mm-hmm. front of 50,000 people a night and you don't or you don't believe in yourself, you don't mm-hmm. believe your own press on any level, even your mm-hmm. own, mm-hmm. Um, that makes for, you know, bad things happening. You know, yeah, so that's absolutely. that wasn't good for him. And uh, you know, far be it for me to diagnose his case. I'm just saying in a general sense, it's very difficult to be depressed when you're in the arts. Well, you know, Seth, you would love listening to uh, this conversation it was very similar to one I was having with um, a psychiatrist named uh, Andy Farah on uh, Hemingway oh, and, yes. and Hemingway's brain mm-hmm. and and why he shot himself. Yes. You know, here's here's a international celebrity who is an enormously creative guy. Yes. Who and and in that in that podcast we go over Andy Farah's medical review of mm. what happened to Hemingway mm. from a brain injury point of view. Mm. And the incapacity that he had after the shock treatments at the Mayo Clinic. And, you know, it, it actually addresses exactly what you're talking about, because here's a person with a certain level of feeling of responsibility to his audience, because you know that that's part of it. Yes, he's a, a writer and a creative person, but he's also self-critical. Yes. And he's also thinking about what's the meaning of this and can I do it? And is this good enough? You know? It's, you know, you're you're really an entity unto yourself when you're writing. Every time I wrote a song uh, in, in my earlier years, I would, I'd have three or four people in my head. I would think, is my publisher going to like it? Mm-hmm. Are the publishers on my West Coast office or in England going to like it? So there mm-hmm. were, there were a bunch of critics already. Uh, is the artist going to like it? Am I going to like it? I just, I lost myself in it. I lost mm-hmm. myself in it. And really the bottom line of being a good artist on any, on, in any of the arts is to just write for an audience of one. Mm-hmm. It's yourself. Be mm-hmm. right for an audience of one. Don't think, hey, it's really hot today to, to have a chorus like that. Just mm-hmm. write something that you find yourself humming in the shower. That's, mm-hmm. that's the mm-hmm. key. In anything. So tr- that's so true. Because then what you did is you just cut down the variables. Right. You know, what happens is the variables that you were talking about with all those different companies and, and listeners and so on uh, actually complicate the thing. It's like going to a dinner party where you don't know anybody. Well, exactly. why am I here? What's going on? <laughs> or, or, or will that person think I look like this? Or should I wear the tie because of this person? I know that person will be here. It really shifts over. This, this, this idea can be uh, extrapolated to you know, relationships and, 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 and really anything. You, you so. kind of have to be, it doesn't have to be 100%. You got to be satisfied with yourself, with, mm-hmm. what you put, with what you're putting out there. I notice, and I'm not trying to realign back to my book, but I will tell you. No, every, that's where we're going. Well, every piece of art that I do, whether it's a book, a documentary, my music, whatever, I pour over the details. It's the details that are fun. It's the details. It's like looking at the, making these art for the book and for these things. I love the details of life. It's not just, let's just do another chapter and knock one out and I'm almost done and all that stuff. I'm not interested in that. I, I, life is in the details. I am so with you. Now, you and I have not rehearsed this point right here. I'm going to say this. We have never talked before. But you don't, and you don't know this, Seth, because you don't know me that well. But my whole theme at Core Brain Journal is details matter. Mm. And what's going on in neuropsychiatry and psychology is people like 
you know, we're not going to worry about the details. I mean, you look like you're depressed. Take an antidepressant. I'll talk to you later. And yeah. forget all the rest of it. And to me, you said it so emphatically and so excellently just a moment ago because that is true. That's what's life all about. If you get tight with the details, then you have a certain level of mastery. Yes. And, and furthermore, you care about the details. So even if one little detail isn't quite right, you're going to take some responsibility for it because you're thinking that way in the first place instead of saying the denial is details don't matter. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> that's right. That's denial. Yeah. Yes, very true. So that's so good. So tell us more about your book because that's we started going down. And, don't, and by the way, listen, I got to tell you, it's a great conversation. I love talking to you. The whole thing, uh, the, the reason we're here is there's a message coming from you to us and unreserved, uncomplicated, this is, this is who I am. And we would like to hear a little more about that from, from your book and, and, and hear what your, what your message is a little bit so we can think about it. Okay. Well, uh, you know, uh, my book is obviously 21 Ways to a Happier Depression. There's 21 things that I kind of came up with over the years. It really happens to be 21, not 23 or 18. <laughs> Just kind of funny things. I've written them down over the years, and I have patients myself uh, that I've used these for not knowing it was ever going to become a book. And I got to just tell you, people are just like, it's so satisfying when they say, hey, what you told me that, that I never thought I could do that. And I'm so glad. And I'll just give you an example, just from my own point of view. I know that I had a class that I had to attend. When I got my master's degree in clinical psychology, I remember I was, I was headed toward a class. I was still in my house. And before I left, an overwhelming sense of panic came over me. I couldn't pinpoint exactly why. But I felt all those terrible feelings, the heart racing, my head, I'm never going to get a good grade in this. I'll never achieve my goal of be, all of it, you know, the whole, the whole thing. And it was so overwhelming. I didn't really, all my, all my quick tricks didn't work. <laughs> but I happened to be painting at the time. I happened to start, have started painting. And I noticed that when I just took a small paint set, not a big canvas and a whole thing. I'm not talking about spending $1,000 or whatever to, to get all the, the accoutrements that you need to paint. I just got out a piece of paper with, a, with watercolors. And I started painting circles in squares. Not, can I draw a horse? Can I draw a face? Can I draw the, because that's anxiety producing to begin with. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to physically move my hand mm -hmm. and which moves your arm. And it also takes your brain off of whatever it was that triggered this, this road that I was going down, which, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure many of your listeners can relate to how bad it is. Absolutely. It's, it's another world. It really is another reality in a way. But I noticed that just by painting these circles and squares, I was, I, I just came down. I just mm -hmm. came down. So the first chapter in my book, and all the chapters are two, three pages. It's very conversational, like you hear me now. It's called Paint Box. And it's mm -hmm. really just about when you're feeling in that way, one of the things that I always do, it always works, is I just take out my paints. They're very simple. It doesn't, it's, it's all a $9, you know, it's a paintbrush <laughs> and, and a watercolor set and, 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 and paper. And I just paint those uh, shapes because it takes the pressure off of you to have to make something good or I can't paint a face or I can't paint the whatever. You don't have to be an artist. It's mm -hmm. not about the art. 
It's about the act of doing it. It's about turning your mental into a physical, and you're also doing something that's pleasing to the eye. And before you know it, you really do start to come down. It's a very pleasing feeling. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of patients that are musicians, and when mm -hmm. I tell them this particular thing, they some of them have become terrific painters. <laughs> it's really quite a thing with canvases. Well, they're creative already, and now they're going to go ahead and do this other level. That's well, they fantastic. never thought that they could actually paint fantastic. Uh, those kind of abstract things. So I'm not saying go off and become a painter. You know, some yeah. people don't think of themselves well, like that, but no. you don't have to. You don't have to is what I'm saying. You don't you have know? to have an identity to do it. That's right. You, you, it, That's it's, right. It's a practice. It's like you were saying a moment ago where you were writing down actually the writing process of actually processing what was going on gives you a measure of, of more uh, comprehensive cognitive control. Yes. Because you're true. like, you're, you're codifying it. You're breaking it down. Here's what happened. There's what happened. But you're actually in the process of breaking it down. So you're actually putting it in boxes that That's, are more manageable as opposed to yes. squirming all around in your brain, like brain spaghetti. That's exactly right. And that's, and that, and that's just one that's one of the 21 things in my book, but I will tell you that almost all of them lead to something that is a, a feeling of accomplishment. Fantastic. You know, so mm -hmm. it's, uh, I, I have a chapter called Filing Leads to Smiling. <laughs> you know, you know that when you're down or, you know, you're scattered, it's a terrific feeling to actually take your files and to get them all straightened out because that actually straightens your brain out in many ways. Mm -hmm. But nobody ever does it because the first thing they pick up is, oh, what should I do with this? Does this go into the maybe file? What does this go into? It can lead to more scattered, a more scattered feeling. I have a way of just keeping it very simple. So everything that I kind of prescribe in my book is meant to, at the very end of it, actually give you a feeling of accomplishment as well. And that's important. It's, it's so much is. Now, here's the thing. This is a very interesting conversation. <laughs> I, I love this conversation. And you mentioned a couple things about patience. Yes. And so I'm going to come back in just a moment. I'm going to ask you another question about patience because what I like to do, obviously, you're not going to be telling me who they were or whatever. That's not the deal. The deal is your learning experience applying these ideas with other human beings in the room. We're looking forward to hearing that because I honestly didn't know. I mean, I read your material here and I saw some implications that you were a therapist, but I didn't really know that you were actually doing counseling out there. So we're going to talk about that in just a moment. We're coming back. So we're going to take a short break. And we'll be back in just a minute. Well, folks, you know as well as I do that psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medication trials and those very, very brief hospitalizations, may prove insufficient to deal at home with the complexity of troubled children and, and those adolescents from 6 to 17 years old. Improved care, those next mandatory steps, should include a more comprehensive approach to address those multiple levels of challenges, from family to peers to school, diagnostically from defiance to depression on every level for families, including military families internationally. The Barry Robinson Center's 32-acre open college-like campus in Norfolk, Virginia, provides safety and security and clean, comfortable living how do we know we refer folks over there all the time, strongly endorse what they're doing? So for further information and informed interview, connect at this page, 
barryrobinson.org forward slash core. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's dhalab.com forward slash core. Well, you know, Seth, it's great coming back to talk to you because what's really fun about talking to you is because you understand the audio business. <laughs> so we're going to take a break. You got the silence. You know exactly what you're doing, you know, and you've got that great microphone there and you're cooking over there in California. It's so much fun talking to you. But the next level here is to talk a little bit about the practice of your book, that was a little hint about what you're doing in there. You're talking about some modalities, some means of self-management. It's a self-management book as opposed to a non-self-management. It's a path to recovery with just thinking in different ways and having some additional practices. Yes. And, and I do want to just add one thing to that. I, didn't, I did not want to do a workbook or something that really asks a whole ton of you because anxiety and depression and stress, that already asks a lot of you. Mm -hmm. I want something that you could pick up and it feels like a friend. And, and you know, in other words, it, it, it's already on your side. You don't mm -hmm. have to grapple with working, you know, and, and, and all that stuff. And by the way, there are many watercolors in the book that I have to give credit to Kirsten Trudowski, who's mm -hmm. a, a fantastic San Francisco artist. She just did some beautiful work. So I just wanted to say that too. She really helped with this quite well. Quite and I mean, all you have to do is go to Amazon and take a quick look at it and you Thank can you. see what's going on. I mean, it's just a beautiful book. She does a great job. I'm assuming, Thanks. did she do the cover? Uh, she didn't do the cover. My my book company did. But, you mm -hmm. know, you and I were talking off mic before the interview. Mm -hmm. And what I like to do very much is when I'm describing something, describing an idea, I also like to show people what it actually looks like. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I took photographs of what I was actually talking about with the, I mentioned painting and, paint, mm -hmm. you know, and, and things like that. And Kirsten would then make a watercolor of it. So oh, it feels fantastic. like, you know, when you're reading it, it's only two and three page chapters. It's very easy. And then you see a watercolor. So you actually see what I'm talking about in a, in a warm way, you know, so it feels like a friend. Well, and that connection between the words and the visual, very yes, important. Yes, I mean, absolutely. That, I mean, so that, important for communication. Then a person, it's funny because you get feelings in your imagination from the words that take you into a scene that you're creating in your mind. But a picture of some kind, a painting, 
has such an evocative additional level of connection. Yes, absolutely true. And as as I just said, I want this book to go down very easy to people. It's already asking so much to grapple with what you're, you know, these afflictions. They're very difficult. They're very difficult. So like, wouldn't it be nice if things just were purely for you and they just went down very easily? That mm. might help a person actually use some of the things in, in the book. Do you know what I mean? Oh, if they absolutely. feel like, you know, if they feel like they're already, it's already on their side. So that's, that, that was the reason for all the watercolors in the book as well. No, that's, you know? that's so interesting because actually we were talking about it just a moment ago because do-it-yourselfers do want to be able to have a tool. This is yes. really, I'm, 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 I don't mean to be trivializing it at all. I'm just talking about it in a, in a certain global concept. If a person who is smart, who has some negative thoughts about psychiatry in general, they don't want to do six years of psychoanalysis five days a week on the couch. And they're not real wild about taking medications because the whole thing with medications is such a complicated 52 mm. pickup. So then the issue is, what would be a tool for a low, low cost that they could go in and start to actually live their lives constructively within the context of their own awareness of themselves without necessarily having to bring the whole house in and have a, you know, entire show. Yes. And uh, so that's, that's really fantastic. It's a fantastic opportunity for folks. No question about yeah. it. Thank you. So then how do you do Seth? What's, what's your practice like? Because I know people would be interested in some of our listeners are right out there in in beautiful downtown Beverly Hills. So what, do, what do you do as a practitioner in your practice, how does that actually work? People getting in contact with you and then seeing you, what do you do when you're working with them? Well, um, people usually, I, I get most of my you know, uh, clients through referrals. I have a site, seththerapy.com, if I'm allowed to say that. Yeah, no, sure, I was gonna put it down. I was gonna ask oh, you yeah. about it. Thank yeah. you, thank you. I, um, I, uh, I, I really kind of come from a very intuitive place more than any, anything. I don't, I don't characterize myself as a particular type of therapist uh, using mm -hmm. particular uh, uh, types of, of therapies. I really, it's, I, I try to bring, not through an example of me saying to a client, uh, oh, I went through that. Let me tell you what I did. It's yeah, not yeah. that. It's yeah, not yeah. that. But I have kind of had a number of experiences where a lot of creative people come to me and a lot mm -hmm. of people that want to write that first book, but they said, no, I've been a doctor for years and I, you know, I, 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 I just can't do it. I've always wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. I know what all the stages of creating things are. I also know that when you actually make things, it gives you such another dimension to the satisfaction you have in your life. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I know what it's like when people are stuck. I, I, I know it very deeply because that's what I do. I'm an, mm -hmm. I, I make art, you know, mm -hmm. I, make, yeah, I make things. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have referred me because I help, I help them kind of whether they're professional or not. It doesn't matter. It's from a person that says, I really want to write this book, but I can't because no one ever told me I was a writer and I can't just do that. And mm -hmm. I helped them to get to, yes, you can. Gotcha. Or, or uh, you know, people that just can't seem to finish projects. I'll tell you, Chuck, I'm, I'm happiest most, not with the projects I finished. I love 
uh, uh, that I started. I love finishing. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love to finish. I'm not afraid of getting to that end line. Most people mm-hmm. don't finish because they're really afraid of finishing. Because if you finish, mm-hmm. you got to put it out. Yeah. And the other thing is, once they finish, there is the completion of the possibility of imperfection. That's right. <laughs> they're thinking right. negatively about it so intently that they can't appreciate it so that if they actually finish it, that somewhere there's a, a spot in the eye that's going to be offensive as opposed to this is part of what's happening and this is just the way it is at this moment and this is, this is me. It's true. And in Los Angeles and in New York, where I used to live, there are just so many people that call themselves artists. It's Mm -hmm. very easy to call yourself that because if you have an idea, you're an artist. Mm -hmm. But artists finish. They finish things. And it Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if you're famous or not. I'm not talking about that. Or if you sell a million copies or something. That's not the important thing. It's finishing something. That's the psychological goal to get to. Most people don't finish, or a lot of people don't, only because if you finish then it's got to kind of be out there either to your friends or to yourself. You've got to face it. And most people, it's easier for them not to face it. Isn't that the truth? Because what they're doing is they're, first of all, their compromise in actually expressing themselves, whether it's verbally, whether it's in pictures or writing it down, it doesn't matter what, even speaking, they're so preoccupied about that it's not going to be right. That's, that's exactly right. You know, I always say when I, when I go to a party in L.A. and there's a pool, everybody dips their toes in. I'm always the first one to jump in the water, you know, because <laughs> I know because I know it's going to be uh, whether it's cold or not doesn't matter to me. I don't care yeah. if the ocean is cold. I know yeah. it's going to be enjoyable. And it's the same with art. And it, it's not just art. It's the same with most things in life. It's OK to just jump in. Just yeah. jump in. Yeah. If you don't, you can't swim. That's right. (laughs) Yes. And and so what you're doing is you have an interesting, uh, from a brain dynamic point of view, you have not only a conceptual, um, a structural framework to sort of think about what's next in their lives from a meaningful way, who am I, but a process to get there. Absolutely. And, and, And that's the issue. And you got more than one process. Yes. You got 21 different processes. You know, one of these could be one that you could synchronize with and you don't have to do all 21. Even if one, even a half of one gets you started, you're opening, you're opening the door. You know, it's funny that you say that. That's a perfect opening to just something that made me think something right now. My daughter, Daisy, Oh, she's oh, the light, of, light of my life. She's my uh, third child. Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, I, when I think about her, all I just, she just, she's just wonderful. But last year, she started having anxiety issues. And, and, and out of the clear blue, she would, out of the clear blue, she would just say, oh my God, oh my God. And I, I could recognize what it was because it was the same thing that I had. It was the same way I think. And it was very interesting to see. What was fascinating about it was I tried some of the things that I would normally do with a patient or, you know, that things that are in my book. And one thing got to her. And I just said, listen, let's take a cold towel and, and put it under very cold water and we'll just squeeze it out a little bit, but put it on your forehead. I made her do that. And where the water is running down into your ears and on your neck, where you think, oh my God, I, I should, I, it's, it, you know, most people squeeze it all out, mm-hmm. but it calmed her. And now 
I, and I told her when it worked and she came down, I said, now, that was a tool that you didn't have before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she now is so, she, she now doesn't have that anxiety. Mm-hmm. And she, she was about to have one of those attacks and she was away and she called me, dad, what am I going to do? I said, don't you have it? What was that tool that you had from last year? Mm-hmm. What was that tool? And I knew what it was. Yeah, yeah. And she said, oh yeah, the wet, the wet the washcloth. Okay, dad, I'll call you back. Yeah. Well, it turns out she didn't call me back, but I called her hours later and I said, so whatever happened? She goes, oh, dad, I got over that real quick. I used the tool from my toolbox that you told me about. <laughs> Isn't that cute? It that was is so, so wonderful. And it shows yeah. that with the preteens or it doesn't matter how old you are. One of these things, I, I really wanted to, to obviously help her and it did. And so you, you reminded me of that. She just popped into my head about that story. Yes. Doesn't <laughs> well, matter you know, the age. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. How old is she? She's now 12. You know, yeah. the, uh, the, the, the wisdom of children, I'm going to tell you one from, oh, yeah. that came from my family. The family lives out there in Topanga. So uh, my uh, daughter-in-law had a birthday, and the, par- the kids came up to her and said, you know, mom, we just don't have a way to get a gift for you. We're going to do something special for you. And we don't know what it could be, but, you know, if you kind of give us a little bit of hint, we would appreciate it. And she says, listen, you guys are great. I love you. But there are times when all I want is a little peace and quiet. And the older boy said, I'm peace. (laughs) And 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 the six year old kid said, and I'm quiet. <laughs> they just came came right out with it. <laughs> I was, the guys are really clever, you know. The yes. Sharp, sharp kids. I'm a piece. I got a little peace and quiet right here. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So, well, listen, Seth. This has been a very interesting conversation. I think we went over a little bit, but listen, I just appreciate you taking the time with me. And it's fun to listen to a person who's had the really uh, delightful, interesting experiences that you've had in your life. And, you know, all of our life experiences are, are training lessons for us, if we, can, if we can get them. And you've obviously been in training because you've been listening for answers for a long time. And then the answers that didn't come from individuals with whom you were speaking came from you and your own uh, creative enterprise and really coming up with something. I've got to do something that's going to work for me. And then, hey, it's working for me. Perhaps it'll work for other people. Yes. And so the, the idea of creatively coming up with a really useful tool is really, I'm, is going to be so much appreciated. And really, it's just a great, it's a great, and I appreciate your sharing with our audience. It's great. Well, thank you very, very much. And I just want to say one quick thing to anybody out there that really is still in the middle of it, or they, it's just, when, I just want to say, you will come out, even in the darkest, the darkest times, when it, it just does not seem like that. It, it, will happen. You just got to hold on to that strand of belief because you will come out. You will come out. I really do believe that. I believe it with you. And I want to highlight something you said and just put an exclamation point, underline it one more time, which is really kind of what you were saying. But if the person can find within themselves a glimmer of peace where they've done something well, where something worked for them and hang on to that and figure how am I going to build that with whatever experience or how can I do something with that? That is exactly what you're saying. I'm just saying it slightly differently, yes. but that pattern will take you to the next 10 minutes. 
And Absolutely. You, then you'll have the negative because the negative thing is what's your own negative routines are driving you right like a peg right down in the dirt. Whereas if you, if you have the light come from, hey, I got this thing within and I'm going to share it, which you've done so well, Seth. Thank you. Great job, really. And so, you know, what I'd like to do is invite you back. You're so delightful to talk to. It's so much fun to talk to. you got a total gift of gab thing going on. And it's really... <laughs> <laughs> Thank really, you so much. I mean, really, you're just you're just great with the whole thing, and uh, so you've been a very good service to our audience. Thank you so much. Oh, my total pleasure. Thank you very much. I really do appreciate it. Well, we'll have you back sometime, my man. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive, misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications, like those written for ADHD, are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.